Welcome to Foothills Youth Podcast, where we help people follow Jesus. I hope these resources are a blessing to you. We are a student ministry based out of Northwest Calgary, and our hope, our desire, is that we see students become resilient disciples in a post-Christian nation. So may this podcast just be a blessing to you in your journey. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. This week I want to apologize for the audio. It is not great, uh, but I'm still messing around and figuring out some configurations in terms of how we do our podcast. And uh, and so this week I apologize. Uh, Parker's end is a little bit echoey, so I'm sorry, but uh, please stick with it all the same. He has some amazing things to say. Um, he is an incredibly wise young man, and uh, I, I, do, I do encourage you to stick around and listen. So thank you again for joining the podcast. I appreciate it so much, wherever you're listening from. Enjoy. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We're glad you're here. Um, with me, I have our summer student here at Foothills, Parker Friesen. Parker, my man, how are you doing? I am really well. I'm, I'm surprised, surprised there's no like funky intro music. Or do you edit that we, in? Later? We edit that in. Yeah, that's okay. it's good. Yeah, that's it's good. fun. That's it's the podcasting world is is super fun because you can kind of do whatever you want with it in terms of like editing and stuff. I don't yeah. ever edit stuff out in terms of like actual conversation, but like the intro and all of that was kind of fun to do. But mm-hmm. yeah, man. So Parker, who are you? Where do you come from? And uh, we'll start with that. Sure. Um, yeah. So, like you said, my name is Parker Friesen. Uh, Mennonite name, not a Mennonite family. Uh, hail from Vernon, British Columbia, the place of dreams. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I go to Ambrose University. I'm doing my bachelor's degree in theology, majoring in church ministry with a minor in biblical languages. And uh, before that, I did a diploma in commerce and business administration. Nice. Uh, in Kamloops, British Columbia. And then, uh, what else? Married uh, one year yesterday to beautiful Sarah. Um, yeah, I just, we just got a dog named Hank. So we're figuring out what that means for, uh, for life. And uh, he's crushing a watermelon Ryan right now. So I'm only like a happy guy. Puppy life is a great life. Yeah. And then uh, beyond that, uh, I work at Monogram Coffee when I'm not working at a church. Uh, love coffee, big coffee fan. Um, yeah, that's what I have I a question say. for you in terms of coffee. Mm-hmm. What is it the, like that you love the most about coffee? Like what draws you to it? Sure. Um, I think that the coffee world is continuing to expand and grow. And I think the fact that... Um, like, there's constant creativity and ingenuity um, that you don't see in a lot of other fields. Mm. Like, just from discovering new varieties of coffee to new processing methods to new brew methods, it's it's an exciting thing. And to be working for a company that really embraces the change and tries to be ahead of the field, uh, you get to see a lot of that research and development take off. And so, um, yeah, and I personally just love, uh, for me, one of the biggest things is making Sarah a cup of coffee in the morning. That's, like... When she, she takes that first sip and she smiles, like, Lord, take me home. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. What was, what was like, the first experience that you had that, like, set off this amazing adventure of, like, professional coffee drinker? Yeah. So, I, uh, 
I had worked when I was in high school. I worked at Tim Hortons. Now that's not where it started, but I, I like started in the coffee world and didn't really have an interest in it. Whatever. Uh, started drinking coffee just to get myself up for those morning shifts, but it was always garbage. And then uh, a friend of mine, his name is Daniel. He opened up a cafe in Vernon, and uh, he hired me. I was his first hire, and he made me a cappuccino with the beautiful Senesso espresso machine. Um, JJ Bean Coffee from Vancouver made me a cappuccino. Okay. It was dialed into perfection, and I, I sipped it, and I kid you not, Andrew, I still the world stopped. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, I could get into this. This is like one of those moments where, like, everything slowed down. It was just you and the cup of coffee. Exactly. Like, uh, God spoke in that moment. It was, <laughs> it was great. That's so good. I love that. I have never had one of those experiences with coffee, but I uh, now I will have to have some of yours because it sounds amazing. Maybe I just haven't had the right one yet. Yeah, it's coming. It'll, It'll happen. happen. It's coming. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Well, hey, we're jumping into the text that you talked about, if everybody's listening, last night at Youth, and we're in Mark. We're carrying on our series called Apprentice, where we're looking at the teachings of Jesus where he is specifically with his disciples. And so you kind of got a hard passage I threw at you last week. Um, and that's Mark 8, 14 to 21. So like, like what, what did, maybe before we start, I want to ask you a question. What is it about the Bible that you love the most? Sure. Uh, somebody asked me recently, how do you define the Bible? Like if you get word association, first word that comes into your mind when you hear the Bible, what is it? And I said life. Um, and I remember when I became a Christian, uh, I just decided, I was like, I'm going to read the first five books, screw it, you know, uh, start off strong. I was like, it starts there. So I should probably start there. It was a grind. And then I remember, uh, my old youth pastor, Kyle Trigg, he set me off and he said, go read the New Testament in a hundred days. It'll change your life. And I said, sure, why not? Let's go for it. So every night I'd crawl into bed and I'd open my Bible and, I remember reading um, in John, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Mm. And it landed. And then I started reading more about Jesus and, and um, I am the way, the truth and the life. And especially those I am statements. I remember before I understood all the like message behind it, I just remember reading and hearing him speak about himself. And just knowing, like, this is a personal guy who actually wants to get to know me. And so I think what I love most about the Bible is that God actually speaks through it. Sorry, my dog's trying to get at my watermelon. You want to go Yeah, anyway. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. So, like, the I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but this idea of, like, freedom that jumps off the page to you. Like, what was it? <laughs> No, <laughs> well, that's okay. If I I might have a baby screaming in the background on my end, so you're you're all good. Yeah. Um, what was it about that that idea that the sun, if the sun sets you free, you'd be free indeed? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think for the longest time, I um, I just thought there, like there was something missing in life. You know, like that idea that Lewis talks about Zoe, like that when you actually become a Christian and you get to know God Himself. It goes from just merely existing to actually living. And when I read these texts where Jesus says, I came to give you life and life abundantly, there was a liberty 
that it came along with that. It was no longer just behavior modification, just trying to um, do the laws. It was like there's a whole new way of life that you can um, experience. And uh, I think as I continue to read in the New Testament, and Paul, Hank, Nope. Uh, he's uh, you, uh, brother. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as he as he started to instruct him in the way of Jesus, and I realized he's not, you know, he does have certain commandments against things. Um, he was teaching you and instructing you in how to live in the freedom that Christ has won for you. No man, it's the life of having a puppy. That's so good. I know people listening can't see, but I have a great view of Hank, and he is adorable. He sounds, his bark is, is significantly, doesn't line up with how he looks. That's, that's yeah. a great thing. But that'll, that'll serve you well, because my dog, she just barks at the door whenever somebody comes by. And if it was anybody who didn't know her, I'm sure it would scare her off. And that would maybe not be a bad thing. Yeah. But, no, that's, that's so good. Well, um, why, don't, why don't you just jump into, jump into some thoughts that you have? I, I have a couple of questions. But uh, but I'd love to hear what, what your first impressions of this of this passage was. Yeah, you know, this text, when you gave it to me, I was like, hey, I love the Gospel of Mark. This will be a cinch. And then I start reading. Uh, and goodness gracious, Andrew, thank you. Welcome to Foothills Alliance Church. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, I'll actually just read it. Hank, man. Um, so... <laughs> This is out of the ESV. Yeah, um, let's go. Now, they, the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? They said, well, and then seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did they take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Now, like, I don't know, like, I, I just imagine being in that boat and Jesus just saying, do you not still understand? And they're like, yeah, no, I'm still pretty lost. Yeah. Thanks, Jesus. Yeah. Um, now, the beauty of it, uh, and Nick talked about this a few weeks ago, the idea of um, the synoptic problem mm -hmm. and how there's small differences. And in the Gospel of Matthew, he says at the end of it, they understood that Jesus was talking about, not about bread, but about the influence that the Pharisees and Herod had on them. Uh, but Mark doesn't, you know, he doesn't throw you a bone there. Uh, and I kind of like it, right? Uh, that's one of the things I actually enjoy about Mark is that he's just real blunt and, and wants to keep the narrative going. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I chose to write it out in Greek, uh, find some little changes, see what's, see what's up there um, to start. And it was interesting. They had, um, Mark wrote two different words. I'm so sorry, man. No, you're good. Uh, Mark wrote two different words for the baskets, uh, which was interesting. Uh, one of them is in masculine and one of them is feminine, and they're totally different words, but they both mean baskets. When I was reading a commentary on it, Jesus was really trying to delineate between the two, um, the two 
events, basically saying like these are two very separate events, but they both happened. Um, and another thing, this is before I'll get into just some other stuff, but um, I was, I read like four essays on numerology in the New Testament, trying to find out the significance of like, is he saying like the 12 basket full because there's 12 tribes and like, this yeah, is yeah. a number of completion, you know? And I actually found like Origen, who was like pretty legit. He said that the 4,000 actually had greater spiritual capacity because there was seven. Um, I don't know. And I, I kind of read into it like the first people he, you know, there was 12 baskets, meaning like that was Israel. And then the second one where there were seven baskets, it, it was completion because now the Gentiles are involved because uh, historically speaking, uh, one area was in Jewish territory, the other in Gentile territory. Um, but honestly, uh, from the, the swath of commentaries I read, they were literally like, yeah, Jesus was just saying, don't sweat it, the bread, like I'll provide for you. I'm trying to say something totally different, you goofballs. Um, so, so yeah, that was, uh, that was some initial research. But you know what, Andrew, there's so much in this text um, that, that blew me away. Um, and then I actually thought it was really, really relevant for students today. Um, did you have any questions before I just fire into it? Well, kind of. You kind of touched yeah. on it a little bit. And, and the question was, has, with this confusion with what Jesus says, have you personally, and I, maybe this is one of those times, but confused by what Jesus has said? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was... Here's the thing, like initial confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the tendencies our culture and especially our youth have um, is just a proclivity towards skimming and saying you read it um, and, and just missing out on some depth that he's trying to demonstrate. Uh, and if you just power through this stuff, you miss so much of what Jesus is saying. And like, I especially see it in Paul where like he's building arguments on arguments. And you're like, well, where the heck did that come from? But, um, yeah, with this text, definitely, I was like, Jesus, yes, I'm confused. Yeah. yeah. No, like, I'm not. Side note, and maybe this, this is just, this isn't maybe what you're talking about, but if you, if you personally, and you're, and you're learning and you're growing, is going through youth ministry and stuff, what was one of the tools that you had or was given to you that you were able to put in your toolbox that helped you understand the places where you were confused by what Jesus or others have said in the Bible? Um, I think Kyle Trigg said this to me all the time, and I think he was quoting Lewis, but it was that most of your learning is relearning. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of those texts that I've read a hundred times, right? You go through the Gospel of Mark, you pump through and, and whatever. But relearning and reassessing what he's trying to say and just going back over it. Uh, I mean, the, the classic, I don't know, when I was in elementary school, they'd have these like reading assessments, like how are you reading? And they'd say, what reading tool did you intentionally use? And always in brackets, it would say, you're not allowed to say rereading. Because you just instinctively do it. But um, Kyle really also built into the idea for us, Lectio Divina, like that idea of reading in community. Yeah. Now, I didn't read this in community. Uh, I talked with my wife about it a little bit, but it was just reread the passage mm. over and over and over. And Wayne Grudem even says that, how do you interpret the Bible? You read it, and then you read it, and then you read it, you know? So, yeah, I just read it until till every word meant something. 
Amazing. I love that. I love that. Sorry, I kind of interrupted your flow there. But uh, keep keep rolling, man. You're doing this is this is great. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man. This text. Um, there's a, there's a few like linchpin points that I think I I really wanted to focus in on. Number one, I think uh, captured in this. I'm just throwing a more watermelon rinds, and I know my wife is gonna hate this, but I just need to focus. You know, it's like when you, I mean, you haven't done this, but like my dad was the king of just putting me in front of the TV as a kid. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe that's why my attention is so bad, but. Uh, that's good. Yeah, one of, the, uh, one of the pieces of this text that I think is highly relevant is the fact that we often get in front of the voice of Jesus. Mm. We often get uh, in the way of hearing from God. Now, what do I mean? In the text, it says that uh, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, right? They got in the boat. They're they're going off. There's 13 of them, or you know, if it, if there are more disciples there other than the 12, but let's just say there's 13 of them. Um, historically speaking, this boat ride that was from Gennesaret, uh, or sorry, Dalmanutha to um, Bethsaida, or it was uh, six hours. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like driving from Vernon to Calgary. Um, and like Sarah and I totally forgetting to pack food and just having like a single granola bar for the whole ride. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So, so these disciples are pretty choked that um, they goofed up. Right. Uh, and immediately, you know, they realize they only have the one loaf. And then Jesus says, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And, you know, they say, oh, you know, it's because we only brought one loaf of bread. Right. Mm. And the thing that immediately stuck out to me is like, how many times in my life has Jesus tried to speak to me, has tried to influence me, but instead I was listening to like the own guilt and shame in my own head. Like, um, Jesus is very clearly trying to like explain, Hey, like they're dangerous. You need to dodge them. And they're like, Oh, I forgot the bread. I get it. Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. would you just leave me alone about it? Uh, but he has so much more under the surface that he's trying to actually speak to the disciples. And that's one of those things with skimming scripture, like I mentioned, with uh, youth, is that if you're so much more focused on other stuff, instead of the voice of Jesus, you miss what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. You just do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when, when we get into the text a little bit deeper, um, you know, and they realize it's not about bread at all, there's actually so much beauty that Jesus is trying to explain to them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, as I mean, you hit an interesting point there of how often we, we get caught up with something that Jesus is trying to say, but hear something different. And, mm-hmm. and where, where we, we can kind of take these, these, I guess, rabbit trails, if you will, of, of what, what we think he is trying to say to us and for us. And we can kind of get distracted and run off and say, okay, the Jesus, I think that's what you're saying. I'm going to go do... Yeah. But you hit an interesting point of like, even in the way that you've interpreted this is, is stop and, and listening and, and rereading when it comes to the Bible. But when, I, when it comes to uh, hearing God's voice, when it comes to responding to God's voice, there's, there's an important process that, that needs to be taken in this and, and testing these sorts of things, right? And, yeah. and so personally for you, what, what did you hear that God was trying to say in your life? as you were reading through this, as you were preparing for this? Definitely. Well, you mean the actual text? Yeah. Yeah, I think what was huge for me, um, 
and you and I have spoken about it before, um, like John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers in this cultural moment, yeah. uh, they often talk about like the kingdom without the king and how we're actually trying to um, have that gospel type community, but we don't want Jesus to be a part of it. And I think in this text, one of the things that Jesus is trying to fight against and saying like, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, we, um, what he's getting after is like, the leaven that they're trying to impute to the culture around them is that change is made through political power, right? And the best uh, policymakers are those who are like conquerors, who go through military might. And I think what God was actually really, really speaking into me through this text was like, you, pol politics matters, but truthfully, the gospel is so much more than that. And if you get so bogged down, and I mean, um, to our American listeners, I'm really sorry, but like just listening to American news right now is devastating. And, you know, seeing the lights go out in the lighthouse or in the White House, sorry. Um, like it's, it's devastating. And being so caught up in what's happening in the political sphere instead of what is happening in the kingdom that's what Jesus is trying to speak to me. Like, forget about all the worldly powers and authorities. Like, I am beyond and above. What are you going to do with what I've commanded you to do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, that's incredibly popular. It sounds like a backwards kingdom <coughs> to me, where, where, we, where, we, 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 um, where we would say power is... is um, what we are able to gain ourselves through human effort and human um, uh, works and such, where Jesus comes in and he says, actually, it's not. It's the opposite. It's actually the releasing of that. It's, it's the letting go of this, our mm. own power and our own strength, or our own concept of that, because really, uh, if we've lived long enough, we realize that we actually don't have much at all in terms of our own strength and power. But um, yeah. I, I think that's an amazing point. Is there anything else in this as you were skimming? Uh, what, what's, what jumped out to you? You know what? Actually, um, the, near the middle there, um, uh, it was a real gut check. So, you know, there's that idea that uh, in those days, like most people knew the scriptures, you know, the Hebrew scriptures, like, and if somebody made like a, a tiny reference, everybody would be like, oh yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. The, uh, the piece in the middle there where Jesus says, are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? It's interesting, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, I think it was when Jesus uh, calmed the storm. It says they were terrified because their hearts were hardened. There's that little throwaway line. And Jesus picks up on that here and he says, are your hearts still hardened? And then the follow-up verse when he says, do you have eyes but don't see and ears but don't hear? It's a callback to both Jeremiah and Ezekiel in instances where God says to the children of Israel, it's coming. Like, I'm bringing the heat. And if you don't repent and turn, it is coming. But he says, they had eyes, but they couldn't see me. And they had ears, but they couldn't hear me because they were so wrapped up in idolatry. They were already succumbing to the powers that were around them. And so maybe this is me reading onto the text, that view of like, I need to let go of policymakers and whatnot. But 
Jesus, in my interpretation, is saying, hey, if you don't let go of what Herod and the Pharisees are trying to do in this world, your hearts are going to continue to be hardened. You'll miss what I'm trying to speak in your life, especially this idea of, um, as we'll see in the next chapter, you know, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Those ideas of what God is trying to do in your life, while trying to hang on to what the world has, it just doesn't function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how does, so, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. That's good. Um, yeah, that, that idea of, that I think one of the, one of the idols in our, in our times, in our, in our moment is, is this idea of identity where um, we, we say we can be what we want to be. But when we do that and when we set ourselves up for that is we all of a sudden place a, uh, an expectation on ourselves that can't be fully met in that it takes incredible effort to, uh, to live up to what we say we are. And, mm -hmm. and when we don't, what we see happen is anxiety level goes through the roof. We see depression uh, show its, its terribly ugly face. And, 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 and this, is, this is what I'm hearing in that, is what Jesus is, is perhaps asking of us, is to let go of the way we see the world and trade it for a way of seeing the world as it actually is through his eyes and through the creator's eyes, which is a given identity for those who follow Jesus, which mm -hmm. is a, a bestowed identity. It's a gift and this, um, which everything then comes into what the gospel is in, in our lives and how it changes us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Um, this, that the idea, I want to kind of like circle back for a hot second and, and, and that you, you talked about the idea of like hardening your heart. Could you, could you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I think, um, I was talking to a friend, sorry, I just had to let my dog go. This guy is a monster today. You are all He's good. usually pretty mellow, but today all days he just wants to be around He knows he wants to, he, he wants to be on the podcast. He knows you're busy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this idea of your heart being hardened. I was recently speaking to somebody. Um, did he pee on the ground? I don't know if he said he pee. He did. What a little goblin. Oh, Man, what, a, what an episode. This is my day. Um, I think um, I was talking to a friend recently about uh, what that blaspheming the Holy Spirit means. Mm. Um, you know, it's the unforgivable sin. It's the big one. Yeah. But what does it even mean? Um, and what he said is, he said, you know, it's up, up for interpretation totally. But in his perspective, it was the intentional deafening of yourself to God. So that you wouldn't hear from the Spirit, even if he spoke. And I think this idea of hardening your heart is kind of twofold. Like it can be an intentional hardening. But I think it can also be just so wrapped up in something else. And especially you mentioned identity that you would begin to see the world through a certain lens that doesn't really allow for external opinion or voice. And when we prioritize the influence of the world, we begin to hear it far more clearly than we hear the countercultural voice of God. And I think... And I, I'm saying I think a lot because it's not set in stone. I don't have a, a degree to back me on this one. 
Not yet, but, but I, it's coming. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's coming, coming down, down the pike. pike. Uh, I, I think what Jesus is trying to say is you just still don't get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. okay. Yeah, I think because, that's good news. Yeah, and I, and I think... Um, uh, I, I, I can circle back to this later, but I think what comes before the text and what comes after the text really opens your eyes to what Jesus is trying to say. Yeah, I, I think for those listening, what what I, I what I want you to hear in this moment is that Jesus saying to his disciples, "You still don't get it." Um, it, it can kind of come across as, it, see, it feels like condemnation. You know, I, I hate being told I, I still don't understand or, or you know, that I've, I've goofed in a way and, and I just I feel like an idiot because I, I, I just don't like those words. Those words just don't feel good. But here's, here's what, I, what I mean when I say there's good news when I think when Jesus says you still don't get it. It means that I've, I still have, I, I've identified an area I've identified an aspect of my relationship with God where I can grow in my knowledge of him more. And, and that's the truth for those of you who are listening. For those who you, you've read these passages, perhaps you've skimmed them and you've, you've blasted through them and you still don't understand. Maybe this is an identifying marker that you need to sit and you need to be in this place a little bit longer and, and be patient in that. I think um, in, in our day and age when Instagram stories are just a couple of seconds. And if they don't interest us in the first half second, we hit, mm. we swipe. Um, the challenge for this generation, for my, I think for our generation too, I, I think you're, what year were you born? I don't actually know. 97. 97. So um, for both of our, I'm a late millennial. I didn't realize that millennials were born, like, I think even into the seventies last I heard. Um, <laughs> but, but, but the thing that I think is a, such a danger for us is doing just that to what Jesus says. Is, is reading it, assuming that this may not have any impact or, or isn't, he's not speaking to us um, and moving past it or moving past because we don't understand it, um, whatever the reason. I think the greatest challenge to those who are walking in faith today is being able to stop and be in a place where we still don't understand and being okay with that, but be willing to stay in that place long enough until we, um, we wait on God. And for those who maybe don't understand Christianese, uh, it means stopping and staying and reading the passage over a few more times mm-hmm. or, or testing what you sense you might have heard from God with other people who share your faith and, and you trust um, theologically and, and have been maybe around the block in terms of listening to God. But I think that's a really interesting point. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But anyways, um, to w- what, what else? Uh, I say that not, I say that with great expectation because you've already shared so many good things with us. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I think one of the things that I focus on, which I didn't intend to focus on, um, whenever the text, there's like a lot in there, but one of the things that I wanted to give to the students was how to understand and read contextually. Mm. Um, and this being one of those texts that, like you said at the beginning, really just, no, Jesus, I still don't understand. Sometimes it helps just to keep reading. Mm-hmm. And so when I read the following text, it's that text where Jesus heals the blind man. 
and he half heals him so that he can see people, but he says they look like trees. And then Jesus says, okay, well, I'm going to open your eyes. Mm. And so when Jesus says at the end of it, do you still not understand? I believe that this following story is kind of an allegory for the disciples. They're starting to see, but they don't see fully yet. So their eyes are beginning to be open to who Jesus is, but not quite yet. And then if you keep reading, right after that, Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And then following that, we get, um, sorry, I wrote it down here. Then Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. Then Jesus casts out a deaf and dumb spirit, which is one of those messianic prophecies. Then Jesus teaches the disciples that the only way to truly become great in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. And that unlike Herod and the Pharisees, right, who do it through power, the, the kingdom of God is to do it subversively. And then right after that, there's the story of blind Bartimaeus. That he says, son of David, you can do anything for me. Would you please open my eyes? And Jesus says, I got you. And so it's almost like this allegorical inclusio where um, Jesus is saying, your eyes aren't quite open yet, but let me open them a little bit more. And then Peter, boom, you're the Messiah. And then you see the transfiguration and then you see Jesus starting to come into his fullness. And then this allegory of Bartimaeus' eyes totally being open, first try, finally the disciples see, and then what's precisely next is the triumphal entry. Everybody's saying, you're the Messiah, Hosanna, you're the king, right? And so one of those things I want to give to the students tonight is that if you run into a text like this that doesn't make any sense, pay freaking attention. Because there might be a story, you know, the gospel writers weren't just kind of jotting notes down and say, hey, here's the spark notes. They're doing things intentionally. And, and this is one of those areas where I really believe that Jesus is saying, your eyes aren't quite open, but let me show you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then he's saying, now you're getting it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's an invitation. I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's powerful because it means that we need to realize that our eyes are closed in the first place. And mm. what we might see is not actually what we need to see or how we see it. And, and there is, in a sense, um, I guess, a, a, a spiritual blindness that, that, that needs to be healed in, mm. in all of us as we come to know who Jesus is and, and seeing him for who he is. And, and I love the disciple story because of the fact, Peter especially, who seems to say he gets it and then he doesn't get it. And then... Yeah. Um, there's this, this process of, of even after Jesus has gone up and in Acts when he's corrected, when he has this vision of, of um, the, when he goes to eat with the, with the Gentiles, and, and then all of a sudden later on, Paul talks about how, you know, even though he had done this, he like kind of stepped back and didn't want to be... I uh, didn't want to be seen with them again in, in another situation. And, and Peter's just this great example of people who, who don't yet get it, but love Jesus with all their heart and wants to. And, and um, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic, fantastic point of, of we may not get it yet, but stick with it. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. So like all in all, this text is highly encouraging. It's super confusing. Mm-hmm. Right. And once again, like if you're just skimming, you're going to miss it all. But uh, I'm actually really glad you gave me this text because there is so much goodness in it. Yeah. It's, that's, that's so good. That's so good. Um, there is there, 
I don't want to get in the way of what else you've got to say, but is there anything else you just felt like you wanted to share? Yeah, I think uh, the one piece that I do just hit on is explaining to the students what Levin is. Yeah. I'm sure there's, you know, not very many master bakers in our, our youth group. Uh, if there are, excuse me, um, teach me, I would love it. But um, just what a leavening agent is and how it can be, you know, a small, like we made pizza last night. Nice. And uh, just, you don't put in much yeast at all. Mm. Oh, you did like homemade pizza. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and you really don't put in much yeast at all. But then it goes throughout the whole loaf, right? Mm -hmm. goes throughout the whole um, dough. And so what I just want to explain is like, when Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, like they had a particular ideology and understanding of what life is supposed to be and how things are supposed to function. That's not different today. You know, it's, it may not be the Pharisees, right? Like there are sure there are some students who struggle with legalism. Um, and there are a lot of people who want to, you know, dominate politically, but there are so many other sources of leaven in our day like you talk about identity identity politics you talk about um yeah there's so many movements nowadays that you buy in a little bit you gotta you know in for a penny in for a pound kind of thing and so just explaining to students like ideologically like ideal ideological leaven is those things that they're just slightly not true but they demand a lot of buy-in and so those things will begin to permeate through the rest of your life and, you know, I, I should, I'll try to find some examples before youth, mm -hmm. but those things that, um, yeah, just demand a lot of buy-in real fast. Um, yeah. And then, oh, sorry, what I was trying to say is like those things that actually shape your worldview, like how you see the world, um, that like when you, um, cling on to, you begin to see everything through that lens. You know, and that could even be shame, that could be lies, you know, it could be spiritual, but it could also be totally just temporal. Um, and how Jesus isn't saying don't be influenced by anything. Because frankly, there are going to be influencing factors regardless of what sphere we're going into. But what I think Jesus is saying in saying like, hey, I multiply all this bread, you guys are going to be fine, is take my leaven, right? Let that permeate through your life and let it shape you. Because if you do that and you cut off the old leaven, you will actually begin to experience this freedom that I talked about at the top, at the top, sorry, mm -hmm. where you actually experience life change. Yeah, I, yeah, I was. I, my question was going to be, what What are some examples of of leaven today? But mm -hmm. the one, the one that kind of jumps to my mind, and I was kind of touched on a little bit earlier, is this, um, the social media. Uh, perspective of, mm. of putting or putting on display your best self and the pressure in that is that there is an image that needs to be kept up and and that mm -hmm. takes an incredible amount of energy um, I, I remember hearing um, that uh, there was this thing called the the hundred rule and basically what what it was was uh, if if people didn't get a hundred likes on on a photo uh, or at least 100 likes, they just delete it. Uh, it. It didn't. It didn't step up. It didn't come close to the the place or the the hope that it was. And and that it said basically is that you didn't do a good enough job. Mm -hmm. Your 
your your your um, your display, what you've put forward towards the rest of the world, didn't stand up, and and what what the enemy tells you in that is that you're not enough, and and that sounds that sounds basic, and perhaps mm-hmm. people have heard that um, time and time again, but but think about the complexity and think about the consequences of buying into that lie, of of that mm-hmm. you're not enough, and maybe people wouldn't say it. Because maybe they'd spin it in a way that would maybe say, um, I, I am this, like I talked about the identity thing, I, I identify as, as such and such, or, or um, I, I want to be a certain type of person or, 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 you know, be loved, be liked, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order to do that. The consequences yeah. of that is that you're looking in the mirror the whole time. Yes. Is that you are... Um, you have you have placed a measuring stick in your life to yourself of yourself, and that measuring stick is the world, and the world chews you up and spits you out in in the sense that the world's love is conditional. Totally. All of a sudden, the your level of acceptance is, um, or, or your acceptance or the acceptance that you're searching for it all it has a cost and it, it's a cost that you can't pay ironically either uh, yeah. whereas this idea of um, this being made in the image of God the the truth that battles that is that yeah we are made with this love this this Trinitarian love that was shared before the world began and now that love of God is shared with his creation and and sort of a, a, almost a motivating factor. I'm not going to put words in God's mouth, but a, a motivating factor for for creating is that God wanted to share this love with people. And now here we are. And He said, even though in our greatest failure, in our greatest moment of failure in the garden, and I say us because this is an us problem, um, sin is an us problem, and and this is the, the 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 lie that we've bought into is an us problem. Is it says, yeah, you know we all fall short of the glory of God as you know, to say it in the way that Paul would in that, like the measuring stick that God has for our lives and that we put in our lives, we fall short. And the mm-hmm. only person who can, you know, measure up in a sense is, is Christ. And so he took our place yeah. and said, so now when God looks at us and when we've accepted Christ, he sees us. And all of a sudden this identity piece of, of having to live up to a certain standard is Jesus fulfilled that standard. So we could, you know, we could find perfect relationship with the person who created us. Yeah, yeah. amen. And, and I think, you know, it's really interesting when you bring up the identity thing. And, and like the hundred, like, I didn't know that existed. That's hilarious. Mm. Well, it's not hilarious. It's devastating. Like, in a satirical sense. But I think um, where I could hit at least something on this is that idea of legalism, right? Mm-hmm. It's right in the text. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, I think he does pull together Pharisees and Herod for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that's both of them look for political power, but I also think, um, intrinsic to the idea of the Pharisees is that legalistic heart. And I think that idea of the identity, legalism is just a religious way of doing it, right? It's just a Christianized version of I'm good enough if I do X, Y, Z. And that's a leaven, man, that people buy into. You see it all throughout the church. If you're not doing the right thing, you're getting called out by 
I know there's a Karen out there. Forgive me, but but there's like a Karen out there, or there's a Steve out there who has bought into legalism. They're experiencing no joy because their worldview of who they believe Christ is is false. And they believe they need to earn their salvation and they would never say it outright because we've been saved by faith. Um, however, 